Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. Today, we're going to talk about conflicts of interest. I've had a number of calls recently from clients where they're facing nepotism or conflicts of interest or concerns about whether someone is staying in their lane, right? This idea of, for example, a married couple or two partners work for the same organization. Maybe they're in the same department. Is that okay? What do we have to do to limit the potential for conflicts of interest? So one of the basic tenets of employment law is fairness. That doesn't mean everyone's treated equally, of course. If employee A is an excellent performer, employee A may have a better chance of getting a promotion than employee B, who's not such a great performer. When we're talking about conflicts of interest, we're talking about things that may jeopardize the integrity of your workplace. So when we go back to talking about the partners working in the same department, are they managing one another? Do they have input um, on each other's salaries or bonuses? Does one of them have the power to write the other's performance review? Sometimes, many times in fact, these issues are not actual conflicts of interest. They're potential conflicts of interest and they're about perception, right? One of the things we all understand, I think, is the importance of what things look like. And they don't always look the way they are in reality. And I know if you are following politics right now or just anything going on in the world, I always wonder when I read the paper or watch the news, okay, well, what really happened? And I don't care what station I'm on or what newspaper I'm reading or what I'm looking at online. My brain always goes to, okay, some of this is spin. Some of this is what people are saying they think occurred or what they think the facts mean. When we're talking about potential conflicts of interest, you want to deal with that perception. You want to eliminate anything where somebody could say, well, there's an employee in Jen's office who lives in her apartment building. So obviously Jen wants to keep her employed so she can keep paying rent. So if Jen's office is going to have a layoff, clearly she's not going to lay off the tenant. Now, it may be that the tenant is the best employee in the whole place, and Jen would never consider laying her off. But the perception from the people who do get laid off is, oh, well, that employee was saved because she's Jen's tenant. So these perceptions of conflicts of interest or favoritism or nepotism can destroy an organization. So as employers, we're always faced with the challenge of, okay, well, how far can I go? Can I fire someone if I have two employees who work in the same department and they enter into a romantic relationship and one of them manages the other? Can I let one of them go? Can I transfer one of them? Yes, you can. Under California law, you can do that. But what you better have in place is a solid policy. 
What you better have in place is a way to explain to your employees up front, these are the kinds of things we think might be a problem. And if you find yourself in a situation where some of these policies could be implicated, you need to speak up. You need to go to HR. So you're a manager. You decide to um, enter into a romantic relationship with one of your subordinates. Better go to HR, human resources about that, right? Better let the right person know. Maybe it's your ethics officer or your compliance officer. Better let somebody know what's going on. So when you have a conflict of interest or potential conflict of interest, you want to think about, all right, what are the tools I have as the employer to deal with the situation? So maybe you have vendors who like to give your employees presents. Well, even if you're not in the public sector where there are very specific rules about gifts, even if you're not subject to those rules and laws, you don't necessarily want a vendor giving your employees expensive presents. Then the perception is you're always going to choose that vendor, right? That employee is always going to look favorably on that vendor because they send them ginger Elizabeth chocolates every week. So the first thing to do when you're evaluating potential conflicts of interest, again, whether they come from nepotism or favoritism or somebody's second job, where you're worried that that second job may um, implicate what you're doing in your business or may negatively affect their ability to do their job for you. You want to think about what is the problem, right? So just saying to someone, you work with me eight to five as our receptionist. I don't want you to have a second job. Well, why not? Just because. Because in the off chance that I need the receptionist to work at 7 p.m., I want you available. Well, that's not going to work, right? You've got to have a legitimate business reason. And that phrase is going to sound very familiar, right? Because that's a foundational element when we make decisions at work. What's your legitimate reason? Well, maybe you're a law firm and your receptionist wants to be a nighttime word processor for another law firm that frequently sues your clients. Now, do you have a basis for saying, gosh, that's really not something that I want you to do? You're allowed to take that second job, but then you won't have a job with me? Yes, because you have a legitimate reason at that point. Now, notice something. You haven't said the employee has done anything wrong yet. It's a potential conflict of interest that you're trying to avoid. So the first thing to do is think in your organization, what are the positions where there could be a conflict of interest? What departments? And for some things like marrying your boss, it's not going to matter what department you're in. On the other hand, if you work in human resources, you probably shouldn't have anyone who's related to you working in the organization, right? Because ultimately, HR has got a lot of say about job descriptions, compensation, promotional decisions, those sorts of things. So step one is to really evaluate objectively in your organization where are the potential conflicts of interest? And remember, they can come from relationships. They can come from monetary issues, gifts, 
contests, that sort of thing. They can come also from secondary employment or ownership. Maybe somebody owns a business that is your direct competitor. It's a family business. They don't work at the family business, but their family owns it and they get a check every month. Well, that may pose a conflict for your business. So step one is to really think about, okay, what are my potential conflicts of interest? Now, obviously, if you're an international employer, there are all sorts of international laws that deal with this whole issue of conflicts of interest and bribery and paybacks and all of those things. But even if you're Joe's Barbecue in West Sacramento that has seven employees, you're going to need to think about this. It's worth thinking about in advance so you're ready. Step two is to figure out what you want to do about it, right? So do you want to tell people up front, if you want to take a second job, you need to talk to me about it so we can evaluate whether it may pose a potential conflict of interest. If you become close friends with or romantically involved with someone who you supervise, you need to let me know so we can talk about it. So what actions do you want to take? Obviously, publicly traded companies have more obligations and more rules in this area than privately held companies or public sector organizations. But that's your second step to think about. What do you want to do about it? And you may need legal counsel to get involved at that point. The third thing you want to think about is, okay, what, what policies do I need? What do I want to tell people? Now, I find a lot of times employers want to write down too much. They don't give themselves enough leeway. They don't give themselves enough ability to make a decision on a case-by-case -case basis. And there's no reason to box yourself in like that as the employer. Give yourself flexibility. When we review employee handbooks for employers, that's one of the main pieces of feedback we give them. Don't commit yourself to something you don't need to commit to. Make sure you give yourself flexibility when you need it. And then the fourth step is to make sure that you update your policies and your procedures when you need to. So you make sure that you have someone who can tell you what the law is do you need to fix anything? So one of the things I suggest to clients is when you are reviewing employee handbooks, you should do it every year. And I know that seems excessive to some of you, but sometimes it'll take 15 minutes to update your handbook. But especially in states like California, Washington, Oregon, New York, New Jersey, Hawaii, Massachusetts, laws are changing so quickly. And there are so many different things that can come into play. So you want to make sure that those policies you draft are compliant, that you actually are doing in your policies the most you want to be able to do, right? So if you want them to be as protective of your interests as possible, you've got to know where those lines are. Now, the last thought I want to leave you with is there's a very clear line between becoming overly involved in your employee's personal business 
and managing a potential conflict of interest. Remember what I said earlier about having a legitimate business reason to restrict your employees or your applicants' activities. Obviously, you have confidential information in your organization. You're going to want a confidentiality and non-disclosure agreement from every applicant and every employee. And, you know, a silly example, but one that's easily understood is the recipe for Coca-Cola. Obviously, the recipe for Coca-Cola is a secret. It's a trade secret. It's guarded very, very tightly by the people who own that company and run that company. If you've got trade secrets or important proprietary information, you're going to want to prevent that from falling into the wrong hands. You're going to want to let employees and applicants know up front, this is my expectation of you. So, so much of what we talk about in policies and procedures and handbooks is giving employees notice of your expectation, letting applicants know what to expect if they come to work for you. So in light of all that, you still have to stay in your lane as the employer. So don't get involved, obviously, in where your employees go to church or who they're marrying or what they're doing in their free time. You may or may not share the same political views or religious views or cultural views. doesn't matter. That's not a potential conflict of interest just because you disagree with someone. It's not an ethical issue just because you believe in COVID-19 vaccinations and your employees don't. So I want you to think carefully about potential conflicts of interest and always consider Am I going too far? How far do I need to legitimately go to protect my interests as the employer? And then don't go beyond that. Thank you for joining us here today. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us at info at Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.